Welcome to History 256. This is Dr. Tully. Uh, today we're going to be talking about new right conservatism. One of the major trends that happens in the U.S. Uh, pretty much since 1945 to present is the fall of post-war liberalism and this rise of this new right conservatism. So last class we talked about Nixon, talked about the 60s, talked about Watergate, some of the malaise and disillusion, talked about how Ford becomes president, and that's not really too uh, popular. Uh, so we have an election in 1976. 1976, it's a big year. It's the bicentennial. It's the bicentennial. America's been around for 200 years now. Uh, the guy who runs for the Democrats is Jimmy Carter. Uh, Gerald Ford runs for the Republicans. He almost doesn't get the nomination because there's a very strong challenge from um, Ronald Reagan. However, he does get the nomination mainly because he is indeed the incumbent. Uh, Jimmy Carter wins by promising he would be a, quote, pure and decent person. Uh, Carter is a Southern Democrat. He'd been governor of Georgia for quite a while. He'd been in the Navy before that. Uh, he's a more moderate Democrat. Uh, he's willing to take on the excesses of big government. He says we should get rid of, cut rid of some spending. Uh, because he's a Southerner, Southern Democrat, uh, in this time period, traditionally Southern Democrats, they like small, limited government. Uh, he is, however, unlike most Southern Democrats, he's actually okay with civil rights. Uh, while he's governor of Georgia, he claims that the state is, quote, too busy to hate. The idea being, you know, Georgia, we're too busy on making that money, uh, doing pretty well, that we don't have time to be discriminatory against African Americans. Uh, this is part of a larger thing going on, which I'm going to get into when we talk about Ronald Reagan, called the Sun Belt. Just know that the South is doing okay financially during this time period. South is actually doing quite well financially. Now, uh, Jimmy Carter can be viewed as the last stand for the Southern Democrat Party. Uh, the Southern Democrats had kind of felt rocked and betrayed uh, by Lyndon Johnson. Also, there's a general feeling of the U.S. is losing the Cold War. Uh, Nixon, for his faults, was somebody who could de-escalate the tension of the Cold War. Under Gerald Ford, the Cold War doesn't seem to be going as well. Uh, Jimmy Carter does indeed get elected president. He's able to get a lot of the southern uh, states to go over for him. It's almost a last stand, like I said, for the southern Democrats, for the Democrat Party in the South. Uh, the thing with Carter... Actually, you see a funny picture of Carter uh, jumping over a fence, unlike Gerald Ford, who would typically tumble down fences. Uh, Jimmy Carter, by being so decent, he also looks what weak. Uh, stagflation. This is something I might have mentioned briefly under Gerald Ford. Stagflation is a combination between stagnant wages and inflation. So basically things are getting more expensive, but um, people aren't raising more money. It gets very bad under Ford. It gets even worse under Carter. Uh, and able to condemn, you know, this sort of thing. Uh, Carter does things like condemning consumerism. He says consumerism, buying a lot of stuff, is not a good thing. Americans shouldn't do that. Uh, makes him come off looking more like a preacher than a president. Likewise, whenever uh, there's energy issues, basically uh, the cost of energy goes way up. Carter's does things like recommend that the country, you know, wear more sweaters and stuff like that. Um, once again, it, it's a good idea. It may not be something that inspires confidence when you're president of the United States. Now, I should mention that Jimmy Carter is uh, what's labeled a born-again Christian. 
Uh, I've mentioned before, I, I would love to do a class which just talks about religion in America. What you do need to know about born-again Christian evangelicalism, it's a new type of Christianity that um, really emphasizes uh, conversion experience. Uh, not that conversion is anything new within uh, Christianity. You know, you have like St. Paul and stuff who get you know converted. Um, I'll get into more of this when we get into um, Reagan, but Jimmy Carter is a very, very devout religious person. Um, he, however, he's so devout sometimes that he comes off looking kind of weird. Uh, uh, he does a famous interview with Playboy magazine. Uh, I believe it's when he's running for president. I don't think he's quite president yet. And they straight up ask him, have you ever cheated on your wife? Have you ever cheated on Rosalind Carter? He says, you know, I've never cheated on my wife, but I have, quote, lusted in my heart. It's the lusted in my heart interview. Uh, this makes them kind of ridicule. They're like, well, what does it mean to lust in your heart? I mean, you just like, you saw somebody you thought was pretty. I mean, is that lust in your heart? Makes him look like a preacher. Um, now, one of the reasons he is elected president is because he is such a decent person. It was almost seen as a palate cleanser away from, uh, from, from Nixon and all of his ilk. And uh, Carter's able to do some decent stuff. Uh, for instance, he's able to get a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. Uh, basically, where Egypt recognizes Israel's right to exist, for lack of a better term. Pretty much, uh, Egypt says, Israel, you can't exist. This is after Israel already beat their butt a couple times in a couple wars. Uh, likewise, uh, whenever the Soviets invade Afghanistan in 1979, uh, Carter arms the rebel resistance to the Soviets. Uh, this later on, uh, Reagan does it much more extensively, these groups, members of these groups, later on come to form the Taliban, so ooh, not, not a great move. However, Carter's biggest failure, go over one more slide, is what happens in 1979 when the Islamic Revolution takes, uh, takes over Iran. Uh, the Shah, who had been kind of the strongman dictator of Iran for quite a while, under U.S. support, um, he actually gets cancer, and he leaves the country. When he leaves the country... Some uh, radical clerics come in, led by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Um, the Shah is Muslim in name. However, he tended to be a bit of a more secular leader. Uh, basically, the, the Shah leaves. The Ayatollah comes in. This is where the, uh, you know, the Islamic Revolution happens over Iran. Uh, the Islamic Revolutionaries, Revolutionary Guards, they take over the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. They take 52 Americans hostage. And basically, the Ayatollah says that uh, they will trade these hostages in exchange for the Ayatollah. They want the Ayatollah. You know, they, they want Carter to give over the Ayatollah in, in exchange for these hostages. The U.S. says we're not going to negotiate with terrorists. Uh, as I mentioned, the Ayatollah had left Iran because he had cancer. He was actually getting cancer treatment at the Mayo Clinic in the United States. Now, Carter tries to do some diplomatic means. Um... He goes to the UN. Uh, he freezes Iranian assets uh, that are in U.S. banks. Remember, the U.S. had given Iran a lot of money. They gave the Shah a lot of money. Uh, a lot of that was in U.S. banks. Uh, they freeze those assets so the new government doesn't get them. Uh, pretty much he does everything except military force. I, I should mention, very briefly, uh, these frozen assets actually came into play recently with um, the nuclear deal that Obama... Uh, negotiated with Iran that Donald Trump kind of revoked. 
basically, the Iranian government would get access to the money that had been frozen in the 70s. So whenever Trump says things about, you know, the U.S. is giving Iran money, uh, it's not like your tax dollars are going to that. It's more like Iran's getting access to the money that was already in U.S. banks back in the 70s. And it since has accumulated interest, and it's a lot more than it once was. Now, Carter even tries a secret rescue mission. Uh, basically, he wants to send in special forces to uh, you know, liberate the, the hostages. It's a spectacular failure. Uh, the helicopter crash... Uh, well, whoop, the helicopter crashes. Spoiler alert. Uh, the, the helicopter crashes. Um, eight U.S. soldiers die uh, in, this, in this botched attempt. And this makes Carter and the U.S. look very weak. You know, the, uh, the Iranians are coming on TV pretty much every day, saying about how, you know, the Americans are the great Satan. They parade the hostages around. And this goes on for almost a year. Actually, it goes on for about 14 months. The hostages are ultimately released whenever a new president comes in, and that's the guy who we're going to be focusing on pretty much for the rest of this uh, class podcast is Ronald Reagan. Uh, if you go over one more slide, you will see Ronald Reagan's campaign in 1980. Hey, does that slogan look familiar? It should. Uh, Don Donald Trump totally took that from Reagan. Uh, pretty much the only thing Donald Trump did was drop the let's. But uh, in 1980... Reagan's campaign slogan was, let's make America great again. Uh, yeah, um, I think that kind of speaks for itself. Uh, Reagan had been an actor. Uh, Reagan had been an actor who had come to political prominence during the aftermath of the Hollywood witch hunt. Um, Reagan kind of grew up, you know, he was a cold, not a cold war. Woo. He was a New Deal Democrat, you know, under under Roosevelt. Uh, he'd been an actor. Uh, he was not a big-name actor, but he was somebody you would recognize if you saw him. Uh, trying to think of a, of a good modern-day equivalent. Um, he, he was not like a George Clooney or like a Tom Hanks leading man type of actor. Uh, but he was somebody you would definitely recognize. I mean, he did lead in a couple of movies. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe, oh, who's the guy from Twilight? Not Robert Pattinson, the other one. Taylor Lautner, is that his name? Taylor Taylor something or other? Uh, the, the werewolf guy? Like, you, you know if you see him, but he's not the biggest name in the world. Uh, Reagan kind of, he becomes president of the Screen Actors Guild during the 50s. Uh, he names names under the uh, whole Hollywood blacklist stuff. Um, he becomes more conservative in the 50s, and especially during the 60s. Uh, he gives a very famous speech in 1964 at the Republican National Convention for Barry Goldwater, pretty much setting the stage for uh, modern conservatism. Uh, he would also later run for governor of California in 1966. Uh, part of his campaign was like to be the anti-hippie person. Basically says the hippies and the leftists have gone too far. Uh, in actuality, he's not really all that conservative. <laughs> he's, he's very good at playing the role, though. Uh, very, very good at playing the role of a, of a, you know, of, of a conservative, of a president. That's something you're often going to hear about Reagan by the people who like him is that he looked presidential. You know, uh, he was an actor and the greatest role he ever played was president of the United States. Uh, he has a lot of firsts. If you go over one more slide, you'll see him and his wife, Nancy. Uh, Ronald Reagan was the oldest elected president at his time. Uh, Donald Trump's actually a little bit older than Reagan was whenever he was elected. 
Uh, Reagan was also the first president to be divorced. Uh, Nancy Reagan was not Ronald Reagan's first wife. Uh, Nancy Reagan was his second wife. Uh, Reagan had divorced quite a bit back in the day. He had one or two kids with his first wife. Uh, however, he, he was married again to, to, to Nancy Reagan. Uh, Donald Trump is has bested Reagan because Trump was older when he got elected, and Trump has been divorced uh, two times. So he's, Trump's been married three times. Reagan was only married once before. Uh, that was a bit of a scandal whenever Reagan was elected, or was campaigning. Uh, Reagan is really using Nixon's tactics to better polish. Uh, Reagan is the reason why the South, quote-unquote, switches. I hate using that word, switches, because that is oversimplifying. Um, the parties don't really switch. Um, it's more like the um, electorate switches. Our different issues come into play. Uh, he promises what he has simple answers to America's tough problems. He says that the problem is not washing. Uh, sorry, he says the problem is not the problems. He says, you know, America has a lot of tough problems. The problem is uh, politicians are afraid of doing the tough things. You know, they may not be easy, but they're simple. It's like, hey, Tully, you're fat. You should lose weight. You should stop eating. Like, you're right. That is a simple way to lose weight. Now, it's not easy. You know, starving yourself is not an easy way to do it. But if you're tubby like Tully, eh, maybe you should do it, Tully. Um, you know, if, if you ask me, hey, Tully, what's the best way I can get a good grade in this class? I'd say study. You know, that's a simple answer, but it may not be easy. So what are some of these simple answers that Reagan is uh, asking for? Uh, he wants to slash social welfare programs. He says that, you know, putting people on welfare is not good. You know, it's going to be hard to slash it, but it's a good way to save the, the country money. Uh, likewise, he wants to increase military spending. That's a, that's a hallmark of Reagan, is increasing military spending to win the Cold War. He totally changes the language of the Cold War. Uh, he also wants to decrease the federal government. He says the federal government is the problem. Uh, federal government's not the solution. Increase states' rights. He also wants to reduce regulations. He says regulations is hurting business. If we reduce regulations, um, you know, the economy is going to grow. It's going to make things better. He also wants to bring back religion. And put religion in quotes if you're taking notes. Uh, basically, when, 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 he, when he's talking about religion, it's basically... Uh, no abortions. Uh, abortion had passed in 1973. Well, it hadn't passed. It. Uh, Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973, saying states could not limit abortions. He says that's not good. Likewise, um, bring back prayer to public schools. This one's a bit more uh, murky. Uh, there's no date when prayer was taken out of public schools. The closest thing you get is there was a court case in the 50s, which got rid of mandatory prayer in schools. So the idea that, like, you know, you would have to say a prayer and the school would force you to pray something, uh, that was something that the Supreme Court decided against back in the 50s. That was not too controversial, believe it or not. Um, however, Reagan's and conservative rhetoric is that all prayer had been taken out of the school. Like, you could be arrested for praying in a school. That, that's not really a case. Um, so long as it's student-led, you can pretty much pray whenever you want in a school. So, for instance, if, if we were in class and I said, all right, class, before we do the, the, the test, let's do the Lord's Prayer, I, I could be fired because I'm an authority figure telling you to pray in a certain way. However, if you came up to me and said, hey, Dr. Telly, before the test, 
I, as a student, would like to pray for the class, for anybody who wants to participate in it. I can't tell you no, because it's a student-led thing. Now, if you're like, it's, I'm going to pray for 80 minutes straight, and by the time it's over, you, you can't, you know, take the test, I, I might have a, you know, I might have some grounds to be like, all right, hold on, you're clearly trying to get out of the test. But if you just want to do, like, a simple little prayer before a test, I, you know, that, that as long as it's student-led, you can, you can do it with the entire class. So, anywho. Um, Reagan is also more subtle about race than Nixon is with the Southern strategy. Uh, Reagan pushes this law and order line. You know, Reagan doesn't do things like say anything overtly bad about African Americans or, you know, I want to get rid of civil rights. He does, however, talk more about law and order, reestablishing states' rights. Um, there's a fairly famous speech he does at the Neshoba County Fair in uh, Philadelphia, Mississippi, which, if you remember from last class, is where the three civil rights workers uh, went disappearing under Freedom Summer in 1964. He gives a speech in 1980 at the fair where he basically says, hey, we should have more states' rights. The federal government should not intervene in stuff. Now, Reagan is not saying, hey, we should get rid of civil rights. African Americans should go back to slavery. But he is saying we need to lessen the government. Is this coded language? It may be. It may not be. That's up for debate. Um, I'm not really here to debate. I'm just here to get on with class so we could get on with life. Because I'm sure you're like, Telly, you're talking a lot. But that's okay. I like talking. Now, one of the main reasons Reagan is able to win is that he appeals to a very unique coalition. Uh, the coalition that Reagan brings together pretty much becomes the modern Republican Party. It's four groups that have never really been aligned together. Uh, the first one does not have a picture. I know we've been stuck on that picture of Nancy Reagan and Reagan for quite a while. Uh, the first group is the Sunbelters. Uh, the Sunbelt is this new version of the South which come about uh, in the 70s, whenever manufacturing and stuff is moving away from the Rust Belt, you know, the Midwest, Iowa, uh, not I yeah, I no, not Iowa, uh, like Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, you know, all these manufacturing jobs are leaving. A lot of them are coming to the South. The South is actually having a boom time. And it's not just the Deep South, not just the former Confederate South, but you're bringing in places like Southern California. You're bringing in places like Arizona. It's, a, it's, it's economically growing due to, you know, reduced regulations and also a lack of unions. If you just said, hey, Tully, what's something that's been true about the South pretty much throughout American history? I would say it's hot and the South does not care for unions. Uh, for whatever reasons, unions have never really had that big of a foothold in uh, the South. Uh, part of this whole Sunbelt thing is property taxes get slashed. Uh, people say that they're bloat. You know, local elections become very important. Uh, Reagan appeals to this new South by mainly going for economic issues uh, more than racial fears. He says, you know, let's just make money. He's kind of using Jimmy Carter's time about line about being too busy to hate. Uh, but however, he is still playing the law and order card. So that's one part of this new four-pronged Republican Party. Uh, Southern voters are still very much an important part of the, the Republican Party. Uh, the Republican Party is very solid in the South. I mean, that's, I don't think I'm telling you anything you haven't heard before. Uh, the next one is the religious right. Uh, televangelists are big for the first time, and televangelists embody a much more materialistic version of Christianity. Um, I'm not going to go too do deep into theology. I would love to. Um, ask Nichols to start my history of religion class, because I'd have a good time with that. Uh, the televangelist just means televised um, evangelism. Basically, the idea is they are on TV. 
they embody, like I said, a much more materialistic version. Uh, some people call this prosperity gospel. Uh, here's the basic theology behind it. And I'm not talking bad about any religion. I'm just trying to describe some theology. Cool. So here's how it works. Okay. It's almost a, a version of the old, like, Protestant work ethic or, like, old Pur Pur uh, Puritan views of, like, you know, the, the pilgrims in the Mayflower. Okay, here's Prosperity Gospel. All right, if God loves you, all right, if God loves you, he is going to bless you. So if God is going to bless you, he's probably going to do it financially. So if somebody has a lot of material goods, a lot of material stuff, that's God's blessing. And that just means that there's God's providence on their life. Um, I'm not saying this is different than all forms of Christianity, but, uh, you know, some forms of Christianity and other beliefs are like, if you have a lot of money, if you have, you know, maybe you're not the most pious person, you should give it away, that sort of thing. Uh, a lot of these televangelists embody this. Uh, for instance, you have Jerry Falwell. Uh, Jerry Falwell's the guy in the middle there. Uh, he is from Virginia. Uh, he forms what he calls the moral majority. Uh, the moral majority is akin to Nixon's silent majority. I remember Nixon says there's a silent majority of Americans who are quiet, but they don't like uh, all these protesters. Falwell is appealing to what he calls his moral majority. He says a majority of the people who live in the United States are good, moral individuals. They are sick of all the changes. They want their old-time religion. They love Christianity. They love Jesus, all that good stuff. Uh, what does he want? Well, he wants the reversal of Roe v. Wade, uh, getting rid of evolution in schools. Uh, once you get evolution out, put prayer back in. Uh, when it comes to the Cold War, he wants communism to be called paganism. Uh, that's kind of a switch before. We also, we'll also get into that when we talk about Reagan with the change in Reagan's rhetoric. And also, uh, women to submit to their husbands. Women to submit to their husbands. The idea that feminism has kind of ruined... America, you have this sort of thing. Uh, now, it is kind of weird that Reagan gets this vote because Reagan's not really all that religious. I mean, he goes to church sometimes, but he's not very devout by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Carter is. Carter is very much a very religious individual. In fact, to this day... Um, Carter still teaches Sunday school in Georgia. I, I, I know if you go to a Sunday school class, and if you, like, you sit there for the entire class, afterwards he will take a selfie with you. I've never done it myself. It'd be fun. Uh, a friend of mine has done it. Uh, she, she went down, she, she sat through Jimmy Carter's Sunday school class, and then she took a picture with him afterwards. So he's the really devout guy, and yet the evangelicals are actually going hardcore for uh, Reagan. Uh, all right, let me talk fun about some of these televangelists. I, I don't really do this in class, so we're going to try to see it. Uh, Jerry Falwell, like I said, he makes Liberty University, which is a pretty big deal in conservative religious circles. Uh, Liberty University is a university, in, I believe it's in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, it's still a very big school. It's pretty much like a mandatory stop for all um, like Republican politicians uh, he doesn't have too many scandals, unlike the rest of the people on this list. Uh, the closest thing you'll get, and I have a picture in class, I would show you the video, but Sally and Mike can't show you the video. Uh, Jerry Falwell, um, well, you just got the picture. Basically, he was raising money 
for a water slide to be built in his at his school, basically like as like a, you know for some of the students. And he said if the money was raised, he would go down the water slide. And however, when the time came, he said, "You know what? Uh, I'm not going to wear a swimsuit because it would might cause lust in the ladies, you know, to, to see me like this." And so instead, he decided to go uh, fully dressed in a in a full suit. And so. If you Google, maybe I'll post the video with it. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll just post the video whenever I post this podcast. You can watch Jerry Falwell going down a water slide in full clothing. That's pretty fun. Uh, another great televangelist team is uh, Jim Baker and Tammy. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Oh, Jim Baker. Oh, Tammy Faye. They were uh, amazing. They were this this uh, this duo of televangelists. Uh, she wore so much makeup. I remember. I remember watching her sometimes, and it was just like an absurd amount of makeup she wore, and she would cry every televangelist cast, like every every broadcast, she would cry for some reason or another, and it would look like she got hit in the face with a mascara pie, because it would run, and just be all goopy. Um, Jim Baker gets into trouble, oh yeah, Heritage Village USA, that's their, that's their little amusement park they're going to make. Uh, they get in trouble for basically, they say... Uh, they are going to give naming rights to the hotel rooms. Like, there's going to be, a, like, a, I don't know, a thousand-room hotel. If you pay, like, a $1,000, uh, you can, or, like, it's more than a $1,000. I think it's, like, $10,000. Don't, don't quote me on these numbers. I'm just telling you basically what happened. Uh, basically, they're like, you know, if you, if you pay, you know, $10,000, there's, there's, like, you know, a thousand hotel rooms, and you can name them after whoever you want. Um, they sold way more than a thousand hotel rooms namings rights. Uh, that's fraud. That is that is textbook fraud. Uh, likewise, this fraud comes out whenever it comes out that she he is sleeping with his secretary, uh, Jessica Hahn. Uh, he ends up going to jail for fraud, uh, textbook fraud. They end up divorcing. Uh, Tammy Faye later on becomes accepted by the gay community for reasons that I, I still don't get. Uh, she becomes like a gay icon for a while. She actually sadly passed away. I, I was, you know, I kind of just had a had a bit of a soft spot for Tammy Faye. I didn't think she deserved all the junk that she got. Um, another thing about Tammy Faye... Oh, yeah, Jim Baker's still around. Um, he has a broadcast. Again, he, he's bald now. You might have heard him during the coronavirus stuff whenever somebody on his show was saying that a silver solution would cure the coronavirus. And he got into a lot of trouble for that. So that's, uh, that's Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, another one is a local boy. That's Jimmy Swaggart. Oh, Jimmy Swaggart. Jimmy Swaggart is local. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart theoretically still has his big church in Baton Rouge. Um, as you may or may not be aware, I think I've mentioned quite a bit, I grew up in Baton Rouge. And I remember whenever Jimmy Swaggart was kind of big. Um, Swaggart was a really big deal in Baton Rouge. Whenever a scandal happened, he... Um, I believe it was the air traffic in Baton Rouge went down like 15, 20%. Like, he was a big honking deal in Baton Rouge. Oh my gosh, Jimmy Swagger was big. Uh, he got in trouble for, I believe he solicited a prostitute. And at first he was like, no, no, I didn't, I didn't mess around with her. I was just talking to her, trying to witness to her. Then it came out, no, he did think more things. So this is him confessing his sins on live television you know, I, um, I'm not going to do the Jimmy Swaggart impression, but it does exist. Um, anyway, he, he gets, you know, he, he takes some time off. He comes back. Then he gets, then he gets uh, caught again with a prostitute. 
And he's like, well, that's none of your business this time around. Like, that's just between me and God. Uh, like I said, he still theoretically has his um, church in Baton Rouge. Um, he doesn't preach that much anymore. His son, Donnie, pretty much taken over. Also, he owned pretty much all the land on Blue Bonnet Road. So if you're familiar with Baton Rouge, that's like where the mall is. Uh, sorry, the new mall. The mall. The new mall. Listen to me. That's before any of y'all were born. Uh, the Mall of Louisiana. If you just know Blue Bonnet Road, pretty much all that was owned by Jimmy Swaggard. So he made some money uh, whenever all those developments came into place. Likewise, one of my favorite little bits of trivia is Jimmy Swaggard owned a uh, printing press, like uh, like records, you know, like making CDs and stuff. And so for the time period, whenever um, No Limit Records, Masterpiece record label, was based in Baton Rouge, which it was for a while in the 90s, it was actually printed by Jimmy Swaggart's company. So Jimmy Swagger made some money off of Master P Records. I, I just love that fact. I love that fact so much. Uh, another televangelist type person. Well, this one, uh, whatever. Oral Roberts. Uh, Oral Roberts was based in Oklahoma. Uh, Oral Roberts claim to fame, I, I suppose you'd say. Uh, let's see. He, gave, he, he claimed that he got a vision of like a 800 foot tall golden Jesus who said basically like um, if we don't raise this much amount of money like a couple million dollars oral I'm bringing you home <laughs> it's almost like God gave him a ransom note like God's blackmailing his flock like if you don't raise enough money God's gonna kill Oral Roberts he did raise the money uh, Oral Roberts University still does exist in Oklahoma so anyway those are your televangelists they really this evangelical really goes hard for the Republican politics. Um, I'm not saying that American Christianity wasn't really political before. I mean, you know, we talked about in the 50s, like, church attendance is very high. Uh, going to church is something to be seen as a good Christian. However, it had never been this partisan before. Um, like, they go whole hog on very Republican right-wing politics. Whereas before, it was never this partisan. Uh, another prong is anti-feminist backlash. Uh, there are there's a pretty big backlash against the women's rights movement. Um, some of them are women. In fact, the the figurehead is Phyllis Shafley, who is seen right there on the slide. Uh, she is an attorney, but she says that uh, feminism goes against quote unquote God's rules. She says that you know she needs to be more um, women need to be more submissive, do stuff for their husbands. Uh, she opposes the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment. She says if everything is equal, uh, tons of husbands are going to divorce their wives because they won't have to pay alimony. Uh, it was going to force women into military service. And also it would allow, quote, gay perverts to marry. Uh, those were the things that happens after this women's rights movement uh, if the ERA is passed. Also, some feminism gains traction with the pro-life movement. And there's also some women who think that feminism, especially the hippie feminism that comes later, is a bit too sexual, that sort of thing. Uh, there's a decent miniseries I've heard, I haven't watched, I think it's on Hulu called Miss America, which talks about Phyllis Shafley and some of the stuff going on in second wave feminism. Um, I can't recommend it or not recommend it because I haven't watched it. I don't have Hulu, but maybe some of y'all out there in listening land have, so go for it. Uh, the final prong of this Republican... Um, base is big business which is nothing new 
but Reagan is promising a lot of tax cuts. Uh, it's called Reaganomics, trickle-down economics. We'll talk about that when we get into Reagan. And that really makes up the base of the Republican Party for Reagan, and that's still pretty much the Republican Party base. Now, the election of 1980, like I said, it's pretty easy. It's called the Reagan Revolution uh, because he he does pretty well. He gets Southern conservatives to go to leave the Democratic Party. They pretty much never come back. Um, however, Democrats really don't think too much of Reagan when he becomes president. Um, remember, he's the oldest person to become president at this time. Only Trump is older. Uh, he was a third-rate actor. They don't think he's a very good actor. And also, he's viewed as a mental lightweight. Um Reagan is viewed as not being all that intelligent. His understanding of things was sometimes um, elusive. Sometimes he did had some pretty substantial misunderstandings of things with the military. The thing is, although his movies weren't that great, he did indeed know how to play the role of president. He knows how to speak well. And Reagan also, he does not get a lot of credit for this, Reagan knew how to compromise, but spin it as though he didn't compromise. Um, that is big in politics. Politics, if you're unaware, is a game of, you know, politicking. It's a game of compromise. However, if you can tell your base, hey, I didn't actually compromise, even though you totally compromised, you're going to go very far in politics. And Reagan knows how to do this pretty much better than anybody. You know, he goes against, um, gosh, you know, Tip O'Neill, that's uh, Speaker of the House at this time. He, you know, he's able to compromise with Tipperney all the time, yet he's able to talk as though he didn't compromise. Reagan is also very optimistic, uh, and it's spread throughout the country. Although he makes mental gaffes, he's, he's known for being kind of folksy, he's known for being a speaker that a lot of people are appealed by. Now, public sympathy for Reagan goes way up, if you go over one more slide, but about two months into his term, he is shot. He is almost killed, actually. Um, in fact, he is shot considerably worse than um, William McKinley or James Garfield. The bullet's almost about an inch away from Reagan's heart. Uh, Reagan legitimately almost dies over this. Um, the assassin, the would-be assassin, is one John Hinckley Jr. Uh, John Hinckley Jr. is a loser who... Um, has an obsession with Jodie Foster, the actress. Uh, Jodie Foster, the actress, she's actually fairly young in this time period. She was not a fan of Reagan. She said, you know, I don't care for Reagan. Uh, she was not the only Hollywood person to not like Reagan. Uh, Hinckley was obsessed with her movie Taxi Driver. He watched it like a million times. He becomes convinced that if he were to shoot Ronald Reagan, shoot and kill Ronald Reagan, Jodie Foster would be so impressed that she would want to meet him and they would fall in love and they would totally get married. And guess what happens? They actually do meet while he's in prison, and they get married two years later. Isn't that crazy? Just kidding. Ah, uh, it works so much better when I do it in class. But no, that's, that's stupid. Of course not. No, he goes to jail, and she totally does a thousand. Sorry to confuse you. So Hinckley goes to jail. Um, you know, Reagan, Reagan comes back. Um, gets on a lot of sympathy for this. Uh, when it comes to the Cold War, I mentioned this before, Reagan's rhetoric is very tough when it comes to the Cold War. Uh, he disregards containment and, and detente in favor of basically the Soviets must lose. He calls the Soviet Union evil. He says this is a fight between good and evil and the Soviets are evil. 
This is something other presidents have not done before. You know, Nixon is Mr. Anti-Communist. He never calls them evil. Harry Truman wants to oppose communism every time. He doesn't call them evil. He says they're our enemy, they're our adversary, but they're not inherently evil. But Reagan is changing the tenor of the Cold War. He's also able to get globs of money for military spending. That's one of Reagan's key things. He wants to, like, overspend on the military so that the Russians would have to be suicidal to try to attack us. Uh, to pay for this, he does indeed have to raise taxes. However, he makes it look like the House does it. And um, he remains popular. Remember, Reagan is the king of spinning stuff, and Reagan does spin this pretty well. Uh, to go against liberalism, uh, Reagan goes pretty hard. Uh, for instance, he, he fires air traffic controllers. Uh, the Air Traffic Controller Union actually was a supporter of Reagan in this time period. They actually gave money during his campaign. However, Reagan uh, fires them when they go on strike. They're wanting for higher wages. Uh, to go against feminism, to say that, you know, people say that Republicans don't like feminists, he appoints the first woman to the, woman to the Supreme Court. Uh, the first woman on the Supreme Court is Sandra Day O'Connor. You might think it's Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but it's not. She's actually the second woman on the Supreme Court. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor is the first. Also, he goes against the renewal of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, the Voting Rights Act, that was a bit of legislation that um, Johnson had passed in 64. It's supposed to be renewed. Reagan says we shouldn't renew it. Uh, Reagan has a fairly easy uh, time with re-election in 1984. If you go over one more... Uh, Walter Mondale is his Democratic opponent. Walter Mondale is viewed as soft and wimpy. Uh, Mondale is also unique, or this election is unique, because it's the first time you have a woman for a major party as a vice president nominee, as a, as a running mate. Uh, this is Geraldine Ferrero. Geraldine Ferrero is the running mate for Walter Mondale. Uh, that is the first time a woman has been the vice presidential candidate for a major party. Uh, the Republicans do it for the first time with Sarah Palin in 08. Uh, there is talk. I think Joe Biden said he's going to pick a woman to be his vice presidential nominee. I think even a woman of color. I'm not sure. I mean, it hasn't happened yet. This might not age well because maybe by the time this releases, he'll announce who his running mate is. But uh, So, yeah, it's the first time. However, Walter Mondale loses by committing the cardinal sin of not getting elected. Okay? There is a cardinal sin of politics. That you never, ever, ever do. Okay, if anybody here listening to me ever wants to run for politics, which I'm sure you do, I'm sure at least somebody, at least one or two of y'all, wants to run for office one day, there is something you never do. You never say. You know what that is? You never admit that you are going to raise taxes. Because that's what Walter Mondale does. He says, hey, we got to raise taxes. And they're like, uh, okay, like just on rich people? He's like, no, on everybody, across the board. We need to raise taxes. Okay, even if you plan on raising taxes, even if you have to raise taxes, don't say you're going to raise taxes. That will never get you elected. Nobody is going to vote to get taxes raised on themselves. Walter Mondale does that. Uh, Reagan has a very, 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 very easy election. Uh, for Reagan's second term, it's pretty low-key, uh, domestically. Uh, Reagan tries to lower taxes, raise military spending, cut deficit, domestic spending. Uh, he is able to raise the deficit to do that. In fact, Reagan raises the deficit quite a bit. 
However, that's he's able to spin it to make it look like he isn't doing that. What Reagan is uh, he's successful in doing is totally killing New Deal liberalism. Like, anti-government, anti-tax conservatism dominates the political landscape from then on. And that is something you still see to this day. Um, not going to take one side or the other about it, but I will say that that is something you're going to see, particularly in Republican politics. This idea that, you know, no taxes, no government. Um, you know, drain the swamp, that type of mentality, it's quite big. I do have to talk about Reagan and the Cold War for a while and his anti-Soviet foreign policy. Like I said, he says early on his goal as president is to end the Cold War. Uh, that's a bit unique. Remember, he is also calling them evil. He says we're not just going to lose the Cold... Sorry. We're not just going to not lose the Cold War. We're actually going to win the Cold War through peace, through strength. Basically, be so well-armed that the Soviets would never try to attack us. He says that detente is too easy on the Soviets. He's willing to risk nuclear war in order to convince the Russians they'd never win it. So he's able, he's actually much more aggressive. Uh, part of this is what's called Star Wars. If you go over one more, Strategic Defense Initiative. Uh, basically, he says we're going to have a satellite based nuclear def missile defense system which can shoot lasers and junk out of the sky to blow up Soviet missiles before they can even start. Okay. That is impossible. Like, still to this day, we cannot shoot missiles out of the sky with space lasers. This has no way of possibly working, but Reagan is able to convince Congress to give funding. Now, here's the thing. Russia also has to fund something like this, too. Russia's like, you know what, this is crazy, it can't work, but we can't get left behind. Basically, what Reagan's goal is, is to make the Russians spend more money than they actually have. Because Reagan is, sorry, because Russia is not doing very well when it comes to the economics. Russia never did well with economics. Also, uh, he starts funneling money to resist communist dictatorships, uh, probably most notably is with the Contras in Nicaragua. Go over one more slide, you'll see a picture of the Contras. Uh, they are a guerrilla army based in um, Nicaragua, trying to go against the Nicaraguan uh, communist government. This later becomes a Harry and Broglio called the Iran-Contra Affair. Um, I'm not going to go into great depth on this because we have a lot of stuff to cover, and I'm probably talking for quite a while already. What you do need to know about Iran-Contra is, okay, baseline knowledge thing you need to know, the American government is set up so that anything having to do with finances has to go through Congress. Uh, the president can't just do anything with money. You have to go through Congress. However, the president is in charge of the military commander-in-chief. So Reagan wants to send money to the Contras. However, Congress doesn't want to do that. So Reagan instead sells weapons missile systems, I believe, to Iran in order to get some hostages released. There was another hostage crisis, I believe it was in uh, Lebanon, where basically Iran took some Americans hostage, America is giving Iran weapons, Iran is giving us money, and then Reagan's administration is using the money to funnel to the Contras. Does that sound illegal as hell? Because it totally is illegal as hell. It's very illegal. And this actually could have uh, taken out another presidency. 
Um, this is way worse than Watergate. If you're selling weapons to something who is theoretically an enemy and you're trying to make sure Congress doesn't know about it. Uh, there is ample evidence that Reagan knew and maybe even encouraged the action. However, uh, if you go over one more slide, Oliver North is the one who pretty much jumps on the grenade. Uh, Oliver North is a national security um, defense... Sorry. National defense uh, counselor for... Advisor. There we go. Advisor for Reagan. He's a defense counselor for... Uh, advisor for Reagan. Pretty much Ray, uh, North takes the fall for everything. He says, you know, I was the one who did it. He shreds all the documents. Uh, when Reagan is asked about this, uh, Reagan claims he doesn't remember. He doesn't recall. Uh, this is not a very big deal in the long run. I mean, it's weird that it's not because it's a major issue. And maybe Reagan was just better at his messaging or covering up than Nixon was because this is, um, like I said, I don't, I don't get political, but I would say this is objectively worse than Watergate. Not saying Watergate was good, but you know, breaking into your political opponent's office as opposed to selling weapons to an enemy to funnel stuff so you're purposely trying to wait, stay away from Congress... That's not very good. Uh, this is also the first time that Reagan is very much uh, criticized as president. Now, the other reason why Reagan is able to get away with all this, or why Reagan was able, not get away with it, but able to talk so tough with the Russians, is due to the guy who's in charge of Russia now, Mikhail Gorbachev. If you go over one more slide, you'll see Gorbachev. He's got the big port wine, um, port of wine stain on his forehead. It's a birthmark. I remember when I was a kid, people thought that he was the Antichrist because of that, because they thought that was the mark of the beast. I guess they thought it looked like a six or something. Uh, Gorbachev is a new type of leader. He's he's a younger generation. You know, he grew up under Stalin. He's like, Stalin's not a very nice guy. Um, Stalin's very brutal. We shouldn't want to be like Stalin. Uh, Ray, uh, Gorbachev also wants to totally transform Russia. If you go over one more slide, you will see his two key terms. Glasnost and Pryoshtika. Uh he wants the Soviets to demilitarize. Um, Afghanistan is not going very well for the Soviets. Uh, it's spending a lot of time, a lot of money. They're losing a lot of resources, mainly because the U.S. is supplying the Mujahideen, who later on becomes, well, parts of which become the Taliban. So he says, you know, the Soviets need to get rid of the military. We need to cut our budgets, get rid of some military. Uh, this goes very well with what Reagan's saying, because Reagan's like, oh, we need to build up the military. And it looks like Russia's cowering. Likewise, you have Pryoshnikov. Pryoshnikov is restructuring. He says, we need to restructure the economy. Uh, the economy is very bad. We need to restructure the uh, Russian society, the Russian government, the Soviet government. It's not that good. You have Glasnost. Glasnost means openness. He says, you know, we make mistakes. We should not be like Stalin and kill people if they, you know, call us out for our mistakes. Likewise, we need to have more open debate, have freedom of information. And because of this, he's actually okay with the Soviet Union getting rid of nuclear weapons. In fact, he even suggests to Reagan, all right, let's get rid of all nuclear weapons. We'll do it too. Uh, this takes Reagan aback. Reagan doesn't actually go with it. Reagan's like, no, we're, we're not going to get rid of all nuclear weapons. But one of the reasons why Reagan's able to do this is because Gorbachev is so accommodating. Uh, when the Cold War is over, when the Cold War finally does end, uh, spoiler alert, the Cold War's going to end by the end of this class, it's actually Gorbachev who gets the Nobel Peace Prize because he's able to pretty much dismantle Russia fairly quickly. Uh, let's talk about 80s society and culture. Y'all know I'm a cultural historian. I can't not talk about this 80s culture. Uh, 
music videos get big. MTV gets big and, you know, it comes around in the 1980s. You start having cable channels devoted to music. Uh, New genres start coming up. Uh, Rap music, hip-hop comes big for the first time. Uh, When MTV started out, it was very famously segregated. Uh, It's pretty much only white videos were allowed, only videos by white artists. Uh, The first artist to desegregate it is one Michael Jackson. The second one is Run DMC. Same here, Run DMC. I wrote a book about them. It's coming out next year. Um, It's a a new form of masculinity when it comes to rap music. Uh, Rap music becomes much more er, uh, street. Uh, Early rap music was more disco-infused. However, it's kind of asserting this new form of masculinity, this new street-level masculinity. Uh, If I'm talking about big trends of the 80s, masculinity is a big part of it. Kind of a reaffirmation of masculinity, traditional masculinity, traditional American values, supposedly. uh, Kind of embodied by Rambo. If you're unfamiliar with Rambo, uh, it's kind of a retelling of the Vietnam War, except we win. Um, Sylvester Stallone is John Rambo, a Vietnam vet, the first one's actually somewhat realistic, where I think only one person gets shot. You know, Rambo's like, well, why don't they love us? You know, why don't they treat us like heroes? Uh, later Rambo movies are Rambo going to Vietnam and killing a million people while not wearing a shirt. And, like, being gristly and, you know, muscly and, and glistening and all that sort of thing. Uh, probably the best example of this very, very machismo... And, by the way, I should mention, all this has to do with the Cold War... Uh, you're having, like, American machoism, machismo, be seen as just the embodiment of American winning stuff. I think no place does, like, jingoism, nationalism, and masculinity and entertainment get mixed together in the 80s than with professional wrestling. If you go over one side, you will see literally the macho man. His name is the macho man, Randy Savage, shaking hands with one Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hulk Hogan is the embodiment of America in the 1980s. Um... If you go over one slide, you will see him holding the American flag. If you go see another, there he is in the ring. Uh, his theme song, his interest music is literally, I am a real American. You can Google it. You can very easily YouTube Ronald Reagan doing it. Not Ron- Woo! Hulk Hogan, not Ronald Reagan. I'm sure Ronald Reagan thought he was Hulk Hogan. You know, Hulk Hogan was, was the American way. And throughout the 80s, Hulk Hogan would fight... Various people that were against America. It was amazing in the 80s. Actually, pro wrestling still does this nowadays somewhat. Um, If America has contention with anybody, any foreign country, all of a sudden a pro wrestler from that country would show up. Uh, For instance, if you go to the next slide, you'll see on the left Nikolai Volkov, who is, I believe, Lithuanian or Ukrainian. He wasn't even Russian, but he's the Russian wrestler. Uh, And on the right, you have the Iron Sheik, who represents Iran. Now, the Iron Sheik was indeed Iranian, However, he did not like the Iranian Revolution. He was like one of the Shah's old bodyguards. And uh, he actually hated the new Iranian government. But, you know, he gets paid a lot of money to pretend like he is a, you know, pro-Iran guy. Uh, In the middle, you have Classy Classy Freddie Blassie, who was just their manager. He he wasn't really for any country. And, of course, throughout the 80s, you know, they would come out, do these promos saying how bad America was. And then Hulk Hogan would come out and go over one slide. You'll see Hulk Hogan beating up the Iron Sheik, you know. Or you see, I love this next picture, Hulk Hogan literally beating up Nikolai Volkov with the American flag. Uh, I love that picture so much. It represents everything you need to know about America in the 1980s. Uh, Other stuff that happens in 80s culture. Uh, Video games get pretty big. 
Um, video arcades are new changes in technology where basically arcades become a lot more um, advanced. You actually have a bit of a boom in the early 80s. A bit of a bust in 83, but then they start coming back. Also, you have home console systems. Uh, home video games come about. It's actually able to turn something which is viewed as a deviant activity, like going to an arcade, which is viewed as a, like a smoky place where like teenagers hang out and did drugs, to something somewhat clean. You know, having a Nintendo at your house is something seen as uh, something higher class. Uh, I love this picture. If you go over, it's an ad from the 80s of the coolest kid in the world playing Nintendo with his mullet. That's uh, more early 90s than late 80s. That's eh, somewhere in there. Actually, the time you get in the early 90s, you don't have the Nintendo anymore. You have the Super Nintendo. Uh, the other thing that comes about is AIDS. Um, AIDS comes about for the first time in the 80s. It first becomes uh, broader. Uh, at first, it's just deemed the gay disease. Uh, it, it's viewed as almost a punishment from God for promiscuity. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation about AIDS going on. Um, for a while, it's not even called AIDS. It's called, I believe it's GRID, or GERD, or uh, GRID, I think. Gay-related autoimmune... No, gay-related immune disease. I believe that's what they... You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double-check that. Uh, hang on. Yeah, it's called GRID. Gay-related immune defic deficiency, not disease. Ah, all right, I, I fixed that one up. Sorry, I am usually edit that out, but you know what? I'm going to keep it. Just let you know what I do during these things. Now, AIDS starts coming back up. Um, it gets known as AIDS. It's viewed as a gay disease, uh, mainly because the main people who seem to be getting it are homosexuals. Like I said, it's viewed as a curse from God for promiscuity. Uh, Reagan famously stays very quiet about this. He says absolutely nothing about it. Like, literally, absolutely nothing about it. Doesn't touch it. Uh, it's not till later on um, that he does say something about it. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of misinformation about AIDS going on. Here's a PSA. Um, I just think the language is kind of interesting. You know, the other night Charlie brought home a quart of milk, a loaf of bread. In the case of AIDS! A lot of misinformation. It's not until later on they find out that, like, it gets through, like, blood transfusions and stuff. I mean, there's multiple ways to get AIDS. It's not just sexually transmitted. Um, like, I remember whenever I was a kid, like, very young, getting all sorts of misinformation about, like, you know, if, if you touch or hold hands with somebody who has AIDS, you could get it. Um, that's not actually the case. You know, they start having cases where, uh, you know, the, the people, you know, are, there was an 11-year-old kid who got it. Never engaged in sexual activity, but it was because he got a blood transfusion. He got HIV, then he died of AIDS. Uh, I remember whenever Magic Johnson announced he had HIV. That was that was more in the 90s. I believe it's like 91, 92. It was 92 at least, because before the Dream Team. When Magic Johnson, the basketball player, said he had AIDS. And I remember being like, oh my god, he got AIDS. He's going to be dead like any day now, because when I was a kid, AIDS was a dissonance. And um, he's still around, so good for Magic Johnson. Uh, still, AIDS is definitely a thing. It's an undercurrent that goes on in the 80s. Um, still, that about does it for the 80s and culture. I could talk a lot more about it. I probably could, but we're kind of on a time crunch because we're getting near the end of the semester. Uh, by the end of 1988, uh, even conservatives are like, look, we can't deregulate everything. Uh, the government has to justify its existence somehow. I mean, if not, why are we competing so hard to become president? Uh, the natural pick is George H.W. Bush. He was Reagan's vice president. Uh, he had actually run for president in 1980. Gave Reagan a pretty decent run for his money. 
Uh, Bush is initially from Maine. However, he's been around. He'd been an oil executive. He'd been in the House of Representatives. He had been an ambassador to the, U- to the UN. He had been a president of the CIA. He had been a career cold warrior. And pretty much the closest we've ever gotten to a president who's a quote-unquote swamp monster. Uh, most people run for president. In fact, pretty much everybody's run for president in the 20th century has run under the promise that they are a Washington outsider. That is not George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush is like a very much a inside Washington, inside the Beltway guy. Uh, he doesn't have Reagan's charm, but he has a fairly easy election in 1988. Uh, he does make a pretty big uh, error. He makes a promise to read my lips, no new taxes. Ultimately, he will have to raise taxes, but that uh, that does change. Also, he has a funny gaffe, which I would ordinarily show you uh, in, in person. Basically, he goes to visit the Japanese prime minister during a dinner. He gets sick, and he throws up in the prime minister's lap. I would show you the video of it. Uh, maybe I'll let you. Maybe I'll add the video of this. It's it's a pretty interesting video of basically George Bush throwing up at somebody's lap. Uh, some big things happen under Bush which are kind of unexpected. Uh, for instance, the Berlin Wall falls in 1989. Kind of out of nowhere. Uh, basically, they announced that Berlin is going to be reunified, supposedly. This is a pretty big deal. A uh, year or two after that, that's in 1989. Um, also, David Hasselhoff shows up fairly early after the Berlin Wall falls and gives a concert. A uh, year after that, uh, the Soviet Union is dissolved in 1991. So two years after that, the Soviet Union is um, dissolved. It doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Gorbachev resigns, and Boris Yeltsin becomes president. Um, I will definitely include the video of Boris Yeltsin because you need to watch Boris Yeltsin. One of my favorite things I do in this class is show you all videos of Boris Yeltsin. Uh, Boris Yeltsin becomes the president of the Soviet Union, and he is hilarious. In fact, I'm going to s- stop until you watch that video of Boris Yeltsin. Isn't he amazing? Like, there's Boris Yeltsin, like, getting drunk and throwing people into the water and, you know, singing. He's, he's hilarious. And now he's the president of the Soviet Union. You know, he's supposed to be the scariest person on Earth. So, like, technically, Bush has won the Cold War. And Bush gets really popular, even more popular. In fact, he has some of the highest approval ratings in presidential history in the 90s. In 1999, 1991, I'm sorry, with the Persian Gulf War. Uh, basically what happens here is throughout the 1980s, Iraq had been having a war with Iran, and the U.S. had been kind of supporting Iraq. However, now that the war was over, Iraq really needed money, and so Iraq invades Kuwait, which was a U.S. ally. Uh, Iraq is led during this time by Saddam Hussein. There's Saddam Hussein. Um, maybe I'll just do a podcast during the year about how Iraq was formed as a country, but Iraq is not a naturally occurring country. It's pretty much the British drew three lines around three groups of people that, like, really don't like each other very much. Uh, Saddam Hussein is leader of one of these groups. Um, He had been getting U.S. support before. Um, In fact, well, he even gets the key to the city of Detroit. Uh, Real, like, that's legit. Like, Saddam Hussein got a ticket not a ticket. He got the key to the city for Detroit. Basically, there was a church in Detroit that needed some money. Um, he sent them a bunch of money, 
And basically, to thank him, they send him a key to the city of Detroit. So, I don't know what happened to it. Um, I've told you all about all the crazy things I've touched. I've not touched Saddam Hussein's key to the city of Detroit. I would love to touch it. Uh, what does happen, though, is a war. A very, very, very quick war. Uh, where pretty much the U.S. leads a coalition against Iraq and Saddam Hussein to get Kuwait out. Um, this happens very quickly. The U.S. like sends a bunch of missiles, drops a bunch of bombs. The ground war is only like six days. Uh, the Iraqis lose something like 100,000 people. The U.S. loses like 100-something, not even 100,000, but a few hundred people. Uh, this is called the CNN War um, because it's the first war like really shown on television, like from afar. Uh, Vietnam is like on the ground. This one makes the U.S. look really good. This is also the first time the U.S. has won a war since Vietnam, and the U.S. is looking pretty much unstoppable. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, George H.W. Bush, his approval rating is in the 90s. Uh, this looks like he's going to have an easy victory in the 1992 election. However, that's not what happens. There's a really bad recession. And in this very bad recession, you do have this election, which pretty much undermines Bush. Uh, because Bush was so popular, a lot of uh, uh, Democrats were not going to run against him. The only one really wanting to run against him is one Bill Clinton. Uh, Bill Clinton was a Southern Democrat. He'd been governor of Arkansas for, I believe, six terms at this point. Uh, he's still fairly young. He'd become governor of Arkansas at 31 and Arkansas only has two-year terms. Uh, he is a Southern Democrat who's really campaigning on the economy. He claims his, uh, his big campaign slogan is, It's the economy, stupid. And he wants to get back the Democrats that Reagan got. And Clinton's able to get them for, like, one election. But pretty much it shows that these uh, Democrats, the South has gone, Republican is not going back. Uh, Clinton also is seen as the cool guy. If you see, there he is on the Arsenio Hall show uh, playing saxophone. Uh, the other candidate, the other major candidate, is Ross Perot. Ross Perot is on the Reform Party. Uh, the Reform Party is a third party. It's the first major third party since, um, I mean, you could argue against Wallace and the Segregation Party. I would say, honestly, since 1912. Remember that crazy election with um, Teddy Roosevelt running for the Bull Moose Party, for the Progressive Party? Uh, Ross Perot is claiming that the economy is going to have some issues Claims the government is getting too big and that uh, something like NAFTA, which is something that uh, Bush is negotiating but hasn't signed yet, is going to remove manufacturing jobs from America. He argues for smaller government, too. Pretty much the Reform Party is a bit to the right of the Republican Party, and uh, Ross Perot gets a lot of votes for it. Uh, Ross Perot is a Texas billionaire. Uh, I remember he would do, instead of regular campaign commercials, he would buy out primetime television blocks and just have his little infomercials where he would just talk about the budget and how he didn't need uh, Air Force One because he had his own airplane. And he talked like this, I'm Ross Perot, and he's giant seconds hand. And I remember just being really annoyed because like, I don't want to watch The Simpsons or something. And you wouldn't be able to watch The Simpsons because it's stupid Ross Perot talking about stuff. Um, I remember this mainly because I didn't have a TV growing up. Like My parents didn't have a TV in the house. The only time we'd ever have a TV is for the Olympics. So, like, 1992, you had two Olympicses. You had the winter and summer games. And so we rented a TV for those. And I remember, like, oh, my gosh, I get to watch TV. This is amazing. And, like, you know, I want to watch cartoons. And, no, it's stupid Ross Perot 
talking about this stupid balancing the budget or whatever. Um, this is not me being political. This is just me being a seven-year-old boy who wanted to watch his cartoons. Uh, Clinton does indeed end up winning. Uh, and as I mentioned, he does get part of that Reagan coalition. But in all, that is the 80s. It's a really interesting time. Reagan is pretty much the embodiment of it. Reagan changes the tenor of the Cold War. Uh, although the Cold War does not end under his uh, presidency, he does get a lot of credit for it. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, the rise of the Republican Party, this new right, even changes something like Bill Clinton, who you will see uh, next class, is arguably one of the most successful Republican presidents of all time. With that being said, um, this is Dr. Tully. Hope you all have a good one, and take care.